Hey, this morning uh, we're continuing on uh, our series as a church. For those maybe uh, joining us recently as a church, uh, we've been on a journey around what works, and uh, it is our prayer and hope that every sermon we preach works, uh, not just this particular set of sermon series. Uh, but we are really looking at what works. We're looking at uh, just some of the principles within Scripture uh, that that God teaches us that we believe in. 2022, they still work in terms of building a life upon the Word of God in the life that God has for us. And so we've been looking at a whole number of, of different things that, that work. And one of the things I want to look at or talk to you about this morning is just around the whole concept that serving works. That serving works. And uh, we're incredible. Uh, we're blessed to have such an incredible church. Uh, but I'm not probably talking about just serving works in terms of can you put on a, a red T-shirt and help us host that at the door. That's more housekeeping uh, <laughs> and playing our part, a part of the family. Uh, here at Equippers, but really the attitude in which we approach the world around us, really, if anything, that Christ modeled, it was to be uh, in a position of servant. I, I come to the world, Jesus came to serve us. He came from a position of authority, of all power and all glory, but humbled himself and said, actually, what's going to advance the mission uh, is actually that I embrace the heart of service. And we talk about uh, in our Equip course uh, that here at Equipus Church, we believe that the kingdom of God advances through servants. And actually, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't disguise himself as a servant. He didn't come to earth and disguise himself as a, as a mere human. He didn't come and, and just disguise himself as a servant. What he came and did was reveal the heart of God, which is to be a servant to all people. That actually before then, they knew God in his splendor and God in his power and God in his authority. But when Jesus came, they understood and dynamic of God, which is actually, no, God's heart and the heart of Jesus is actually to serve, to help, to uplift, to come under. And really, that's the attitude, the heart uh, for us here at Escobar's Church. Uh, but really, what we're, what we're looking at is that. But what I want to do this morning is just quickly look just for the next 20 minutes or so uh, at some of the ways we, we look at Scripture. Um, and, you know, often when we read texts, I was sharing about this a few Sunday nights ago uh, at our night service. But often when we read scripture, what we like to do is we like to identify ourselves with the most favorable characters in the story. Uh, we do it. We grow up doing that just in general stories. Most kids growing up, what, what do they want to be? They want to be the superhero in the story. Not many kids. You get a few, but not many come out wanting to be the villain. Most kids identify with the, with the favorable characters in the story, we do that with scripture. When we read the story of David and Goliath, who are you in the story? You're David, all right? And that's who you identify with. You never think, you know what, I'm more like Saul. I'm more like one of the jealous older brothers. You know what, I'm even sometimes over-intimidating like Goliath. We don't, we don't often position ourselves in those things. What do we want to do? No, we want to throw our little stone and save the world. But, but really what we learn and where we understand more is when we read scripture and go, well, what? What's the full picture? What are the different characters and what's God trying to tell me? Because some parts of my life I'm like David and other parts of my life I'm like the older brothers who are jealous and trying to squish David down. And so when we look at Scripture, it's really important. We do that. Even David himself did that when, when the prophet showed up to David after David had made a mess and committing adultery and then also killing a man. The prophet shows up and tells a story that is very much a parallel of David's current situation. And David, in anger, is like, who is that man? 
He deserves to die. And then the realization comes, well, that's actually you, David. (laughs) But even when he heard the own story about his own life, he didn't even identify himself as being the bad guy in the story. And it's really important that when we look at life and when we look at Scripture that, that we actually understand that there is, a, there is the, the full picture of what it is God's trying to show us. And so what I want to look at this morning, in fact, is even there's a, there's a passage, now many of us will know this Scripture, uh, but I believe there's two characters in this passage that often get, don't get enough airtime. Uh, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, if you look at the story of, of the Good Samaritan, uh, with this, this, this story is a response to a question. And the context in which Jesus is sharing the story, it's, underst- it's important that you keep the question in mind, what's the story was started from? That what happens is a teacher of the law comes to Jesus, all right? So, so already in this story, normally when we read Scripture and look at the story, we don't identify ourselves as being a teacher of the law or a Pharisee. Often we wait until God talks about the disciples, and then we go, oh, there we are. But more often than not, we're actually sometimes more a bit more of a Pharisee in our heart and stubborn in the teaching of the law, like the teachers. So as the story starts, you, a teacher of the law, all right, I'm just helping you identify ourselves in the story, shows up to Jesus and says, what must I do? This is the question that started the parable in the first place. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So he comes to Jesus very self-centered, going, what must I do so I can take hold of? So his question and the posture of his heart is very much, what can I get and how do I get it, Jesus? Help me understand how I can get that. Jesus responds to him in verse 26, says, what's written in the law? He replied, and how do you read it? So not just what's reading, how do you interpret it? The teacher in the law wanting to be right because he's a teacher of the law responds, well, love the Lord God with all your heart and love others as yourselves or love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus in that moment responds by saying, you have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. See, at the end of the day, and, then, and, and, and we'll jump into the story in a moment, because on the back of that, this is when Jesus launches into the parable of the Good Samaritan, because, because at the end of the day, the guy didn't have a problem with his understanding. The guy actually understood what he needed to do to take hold of the life that God had called him to take hold of. The problem wasn't in the knowing. The problem was in the doing. Because he says, what must I do? Jesus says, well, what do you think you should do? I should love God and love people. Well, you're right. Go and do that. But his response in that moment was in verse 29. It says he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. Because at the end of the day, he understood what he needed to do, but also knew he wasn't doing it. And instead of saying, oh, you know what? I should probably just go practice what I understand. He tries to find a way of justifying his life as it is because he wasn't interested in change. He was interested in being correct. And when it comes to Scripture and it comes to God, we've got to make sure we're not not just interested in being right. We're actually interested in change. That when we approach the Word even this morning, I'm not coming here to be right. I'm coming here to change. I'm coming here to learn. I'm coming here to lean in, but the teacher of the Lord didn't come to change. 
He came to be justified. If we just show up to gatherings to be justified, well, I did my church thing, so therefore I'm a good Christian. No, you don't come here to be justified. We embrace God and we embrace the Word of God for change, for, for going, okay, God, what must I change? And so because he wanted to justify himself, he led with this question, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And this is where Jesus launches into the parable, and most of us in this room know the parable, how it goes, and how we normally identify the story is a man gets beaten and left on the side of the road, Road and, and the priest walks past and avoids the guy and goes, just acts like he didn't see it. And, and kind of like when you're in the supermarket and you see that person and you're like, oh, I don't have time. I better go down the other aisle. Uh, and and, and you, you kind of, he just avoids them because he's got things to do. And, and he's a priest, so I'm sure he's off to do some religious things. So there was a God factor to it. So it felt right. So I, I just, I'm sure, I'm sure he was well-meaning enough, giving him the benefit of the doubt that he probably said a little prayer on his way past. He probably sent a message saying, praying for you, let me know if there's any way I can help. And, and just carried on by because I, I've done my part to appease myself, to make myself feel good enough that I can carry on with life and leave the mess and the hurt alone. And, and so then he goes on to do that, but that's not us. Uh, and so what happens is then the Levite shows up and the Levite just, just mimics what the priest did. And so he just mimics and follows exactly what the guy in front of him did and ignores the guy. And then the Samaritan shows up, and this is the part of the story where we say, I want to be the Samaritan. And we, we show up, and the guy's beaten on, left on the side of the road, and he stops to help him and bandages his wounds and takes him off and drops him off at an inn and says, hey, take care of this dude, and I'll come back and pay you back for what you've done. And then he carries on his way, and we read that story and go, man, I don't want to be a priest. I don't want to be a Levite. I want to be a Samaritan. Now, most of us have grown up knowing that story. Some of us, more recently, we understand that story. The problem isn't knowing the story or not. It's embracing the change to actually outlive that story. Because <laughs> the knowing of that story is pretty straightforward, but it's the embracing of the change in my heart to go, where actually do I need to engage and change? Where is my approach to Jesus? God, how can I take hold of eternal life? And on that approach of God, how can I take hold of the life you have for me? Am I walking past the hurt and the brokenness and the need? But there's two other people in the story that often don't get a little bit of airtime, but I think we can identify with in other times in our life. The first person we probably never put ourselves in the position of is the man beaten and left on the side of the road. Who's ever read that story and gone, you know who I am? I'm the beaten up dude. There's a man left beaten on the side of the road. Imagine if I, if I, I just put myself in his shoes. In the areas of my life where sometimes I feel beaten up and robbed, and then next minute what happens is a Samaritan tries to help me. A Samaritan? I don't get help from the Samaritans. That even in a brokenness and weakness, sometimes I'm too prideful to accept the help that God's offering. That here's a man left beaten and broken, and, and by the story Jesus tells us, by good conscience, we can, we can believe that he, he would be, the people would be identifying that as being a good Jewish man that was wrongfully robbed. But a Samaritan stops, the despised people, the, the people that are seen lower than them, the people that aren't of the same class as them, the people that aren't, aren't of the same reputation, and offers out a hand and says, oh, no, I don't get help from you. I don't get help from the, I don't get help from people like you. I'll wait. A little bit. And it leads me to ask the question, well, where am I beaten and robbed and broken but too prideful to let someone come in and help me that God's trying to send to help me? 
Which leads me to ask you the question, where are you a bit beaten, robbed, and broken, but too prideful to allow someone to stop? So how can I actually help you with that? And so you got the Samaritan. But the other person that often we don't talk about, and for today's story we are going to be looking at, is the innkeeper. I think the innkeeper doesn't often get enough airtime. Because in the story, you've got a dude that was beaten and broken, left on the side of the road. A Samaritan, out of the goodwill of his own heart, stops to pick him up, bandages his wounds, takes him to an inn. Now, most Jewish settlements would have an inn, and the, the inns were often used for people uh, that were, were passing by the town. They were, they were just a safe place to sleep for a night, and often just an archway dug out on the side of a wall. And it was just a place for people who didn't know anyone within the context of the town to be able to come in as a stranger. Uh, and be cared for, be, be, be just, a, just a night and carry on. It was often free, but if you wanted to, you could pay for a greater experience. You could pray, pay for a greater room. And so this guy picks up this broken man and brings him to the inn and drops him off. Now, I just imagine if I was the innkeeper, I'm just here doing my job, going about my business, trying to make, make ends meet, trying, trying to do life, trying to just get through. I'm running a company. I'm doing my thing. And next minute, this need just shows up. This dude just shows up and says, hey, I found this, I found this need. I found this problem. Can I drop it off to you to take care of? So, well, you're the one who picked them up. I didn't cause that problem. I didn't even want to get engaged in that problem. Why are you dropping them off here? Are there some free rooms downstairs? Why don't you just chuck them in there? But the, 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 the innkeeper in that moment, what happens is, is the inn is actually probably more like a type of the church than sometimes we understand. Because really what happens, and it's amazing that Jesus takes the story right through to the restoration of the man, not just the stopping. Not, not just the Samaritan stopped for the man and then be like the Samaritan. No, what happens is the Samaritan stopped to the man and made sure the story carries on to the full restoration of the man. Our job isn't to just stop for the person who needs an extra $20 next week and make sure. No, it's actually to stop for the hurt and the broken and follow it through to the full restoration of people. And so the end is the place where the brokenness is picked up and dropped off and said, hey, what happens is you find it in verse uh, later on in, in verse 34 it talks about this is the Samaritan stopping in Luke 10 it says he went to him bandaged his wound pouring oil and wine then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to the inn and took care of him the next day he took out two coins or two days salary gave it to the innkeeper he said look after him he said when I return I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Some translations say, and spare no expense, and I'll reimburse you when I return. You see, when it comes to the inn, often the inn is actually a type of the church where God can pick up broken humanity, drop it off, say, hey, in this place, restore these people, help these people, heal these people, grow these people, develop these people, send these people on. But the church should be a place like the inn where God can come and say, hey, spare no expense in helping people and serving people. But when I return, I will return and reimburse you for everything you've given out. 
everything that enters a place where broken humanity comes, where we embrace the serving of people and the understanding that one day God's going to return and repay us and reward us and reimburse us for everything we've ever given. And you've got an innkeeper that in his own right could have said, no, thank you. I think there's another place down the road for you. He decided to say, no, come in. And I'll, I'll serve you. Which just leads me this morning to a couple thoughts around the, the innkeepers. First of all, the, the, the Samaritan goes, hey, spare no expense. Now it's my hope that us as a church, that we're a church, when, when someone comes knocking, when someone shows up, that, that we're not the inn that says, sorry, we're a bit full here. Sorry, there's actually a better place. Oh, sorry, you might need to go get healing somewhere else and come back when you're feeling a bit better. Then there's room for I hope that we're the church that says, no, we're prepared to spare the expense, to spend the expense on you, to help you to give of ourselves, to give our times, that this is a place that, that God can use to restore you. But there's some things about the innkeepers. What, for the innkeeper to spare no expense on serving and helping this man, there had to be a belief and a trust that actually the Samaritan was going to return with his reimbursement. That he, he was going to return with his, his reimbursement. There had to be a belief in your heart when it comes to, because the question it leads us to is how do, you, how do you spare no expense and don't end up spending yourself? But there's a belief and an understanding that as we serve and as we posture ourselves in a heart to serve others, that I serve a God that freely gives to me. I only freely give out because I understand a God that freely gives into me. And there's this idea that here's this man who serves. Now, we don't know because Jesus doesn't close the story off. He doesn't go on to say, but what happens when the guy gets better? But I've, I've experienced in my life, sometimes you spare no expense in helping people and they just get up and say, cool, see you later. Watch people walk off, oh, ungrateful people. Don't they realize what I did for them? See, the problem in, when it comes to how do, how do I spend all expense and making sure I don't get spent myself, is first I've got to understand, well, where, where does my reimbursement come from? Because often what people are wanting is they're wanting kickback from what God's called them to serve. I'll serve here as long as they kick back to me. But the story of the Good Samaritan is, no, you serve them and I will return to you. You see, the danger and sometimes the disillusionment in how we embrace the world around us, well, well, they don't care about me, so I don't care about them. Well, that's not the attitude of Christ at all. In fact, Jesus came and humbled himself as a slave. And we as human beings hung him on a cross for it. But he continued to serve in his attitude. But the ability to serve with no expense is actually also linked to your ability to receive from God. And I just want to quickly look at just for a second here, because actually when it comes to serving, I, I believe that for most of us in this room, that you're well, we're well-meaning, uh, God-fearing Christians that actually have a desire to help and serve other people. But I would just say, actually, the more you understand what you receive from God, the more you're going to be better you're going to be at giving out to the world around us. The more you understand what you have from God. In fact, you see when it, when it comes 
uh, to 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about this when he says, hey, he who comforts us, talking about the Holy Spirit, he who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort ourselves that uh, we have freely received from God. So as I receive comfort, I offer comfort. But what, he, what he's saying is I, I offer comfort to the world around me because I get comfort from my God. But a lot of people get disillusioned in the attitude of service towards the world around them because they, they go into their workplace and they serve, but they don't get the kickback from it. They don't get the honor from it. They don't get the reward from it. They're, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to get out of the thing God's called us to give to. And God's just saying, no, if you give here, I will pour into you. Then actually, I don't serve so I can get. I serve because I have received. There's a completely different mindset. A lot of people, this world will serve so I can get something but God says no serve because you have something because I've given you something I've given you my grace I've given you my strength but when it comes to service one thing that serving does and this is just what I want to land on today what serving does is serving aligns my attitude serving aligns my attitude so you got to understand that we're sons and daughters, as you know, of God. So in God, I have an inheritance and I have an authority. So my, my, my identity in God is, is I'm a son and a daughter. I'm, I'm a son of the king. I'm a royal priesthood. Uh, I hold authority, I hold understanding, I hold strength. And then God gives me, give me gifts, gives me strength, gives me abilities. So I, I am of God. I am, am royal in God. And I have strengths in God. But the attitude I come with is not, not, not one of, okay, I'm, I'm here with my authority. No, the attitude I come with. So my, my identity is authority, but my attitude is service. My attitude is service. Jesus, though he was God, did not consider himself equal with God, but humbled himself as a slave. Though I am of authority, I come with service. It's the attitude that Christ calls us to live. Wherever I am, in my workplace, in my family, I come with the attitude of service. And you find this scripture and just what I want to land on today, in Matthew 10, when Jesus is sending out the disciples. So at this point, they've, they've done a few things. They've learned some of the, the ropes of Jesus. They've seen the feeding thing and the, the blind seeing thing. You know, they've seen some pretty cool stuff. And they're the ones that Jesus chose. So because Jesus is awesome, we must be awesome. So they started to get this idea that they were great by association. You know, like growing up, I was only cool by association. And so you go into a place like, oh, because I know them, I'm cool here. This is what the disciples are thinking. Oh, we know Jesus, so we're great around here. Jesus comes with a bit of a job description in, in Matthew 10 as he's sending them out. He says this, he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure leprosy. Well, I, don't know, I don't know what your daily to-do list is. Showing up on the first day, hey, what do you want me to do? I just raise the dead. 
and if you get that done before lunch, there's a few people with leprosy around here if you can help them out too. Like, it's a pretty daunting task. <laughs> okay, here we go. Then it goes on at the end of verse 8 to say this, give as freely as you have received. Again, as you have received, go and give. Don't give so you can get. Give because you have received. Say when it comes to the service of others, your ability to receive was directly attached to your ability to give. Why a lot of people sometimes get so tired in the giving is because there's some people naturally that are good at serving just by nature, just coming and serve. And there's some people just by nature that are good at being served. Got no problem in receiving. But what we've got to do is understand actually in both of those, for the givers, for you to be able to give, you've got to learn how to receive. And for those who have received, you've got to learn how to give. Because then when he goes on to say this, he says in verse 10, he says, hey, don't carry anything with you or even a walking stick. But then he goes on to say this, but don't hesitate to accept hospitality. Go with nothing. But as you go with nothing, you gotta be aware of this. Be prepared to receive. Actually be prepared to receive hospitality. There's a lot of people that live life in a posture of service and giving and giving and giving and people along the way are like, hey, we're here to help you. Hey, do you want to have a meal? Hey, I'm, I'm here to pray with you. Hey, we're there. And then they give and give and give and give and they say, oh no, it's fine, it's fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then they get to a point and they turn around and say, there's no one here to help me. If you want to live a life that freely gives, you also need to learn how to freely receive. And Jesus is even saying to his disciples, hey, go with nothing. And don't expect much. In fact, he goes on to say, what you can expect is to be beaten, thrown in prison and hated. But those who do open a door to you, don't hesitate in sitting down and receiving hospitality from them because I'm gonna use people to pour into you so you can pour into others. He goes on then to say, if verse 39, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give your life for me, you'll find it. The more you try and build your thing, the further purpose and meaning is really going to get from you but the more you're prepared to lay down your life and just say well I'm here to serve God the more you'll discover God has everything you need but in verse 40 he lands on this and this is where I want to land he says anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me so anyone who welcomes Jesus welcomes the father but whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward But if anyone gives a cup of cold water to the little ones, who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will not lose their reward. There's three types of people Jesus refers to outside of himself in this passage. He goes, prophets. So in the Jewish culture, prophets were leadership. They were, they were authority. They were, they, 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 were, they were the elders. They were the, the prophets. So they were the highly respected ones. So you say, hey, how you treat them and honor them is going to determine what, what I can return to you. How, how I can. So he says, hey, honor the prophets. Then he goes, okay, the righteous people, that's the you and I. That's the camaraderie. That's the, for the disciples. They would have considered themselves righteous. So the righteous ones, the one and others. So you look around this room and say, okay, cool. I've got to treat the one and others well. I've got to, I've got to honor the one and others. I've got to honor the people around me. But then he goes on to say, and the little ones, the least in Jewish culture, the little ones, the insignificant ones, 
how you treat them. And often they're the ones Jesus attaches himself to and he says, hey, how you treat them is how you treat me. That if you serve and care and develop and, and get around them. But then what does he do? Where does he place the disciples in all of these things? Because the disciples at this point would have started to think they were something. And before he sends them out to the world, before he sends them out to have a go at this God thing, he lands on just saying, hey, just understand there's prophets, but that's not you. There's righteous people, but don't carry yourself in thinking you're of that status. The ones you are, you're the little ones. Because he says it, in the end of that, he says, and anyone who even gives a cup of cold water to these little ones who are my disciples, truly I tell you that they will not lose their reward. Because at the time, the idea was to be the prophets. I want to be the prophets. The prophets have power. And Jesus says, hey, no, don't go in the attitude as a prophet. Don't go in the attitude as authority. What you need to go in is the attitude of, hey, I'm just a little one. I'm here to serve. So I've got power in God. I've got authority through Jesus. But my attitude is I embrace the world as a little one. To come under, to serve, to give of myself, to give of my life. And then Jesus wraps up the Good Samaritan story by asking the guy one last question. He asks him this question. He says, well, who was the neighbor? The Good Samaritan story started with two questions. He started with, how can I get hold of eternal life for me? And then he goes on to say in his justification, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus responds and says, well, who was the neighbor? Who was the neighbor? That actually a neighbor isn't somebody around. What, what, what's he asking? Do you carry the attitude of a neighbor? Because asking who is my neighbor is asking like, how much do I need to serve? How often? How long? How long do I do this for Jesus? Until I get what I need to get. How, how long does it, like how long until I can tick off the box of service in Christianity? Read my Bible, worshiped, served. When can I tick that Jesus says, no, it's not a box you tick. It's an attitude you carry. It's an attitude you embrace the world around you with. And when we go forth with the gospel, we're not going, okay, who should we serve? We go through, do I carry an attitude of service? And who's God going to put before me? Who's God going to carry to me that I can spare no expense in helping so that God, because God has pulled back into me. I really want to encourage us as a church when it comes to serving. This morning, for some of us, we've built our life like the innkeeper. And God's showing up with need. And you, you offer free rooms now and again. But the motive is more about what can I build rather than what has God given to me and how can I give that to others. It's the attitude of service. It's the attitude of service. For others, you live a lifestyle of giving. But in that giving, you haven't really figured out the art of receiving. 
And it's actually at times you need to learn to actually receive hospitality because your ability to give is connected to your ability to receive.